0: great to see everyone here today. I feel like I'm at a family picnic, and uh, we're going to at the end, we're going to have a tug of war, this side versus this side, right down the middle here. That would be pretty fun, wouldn't it? But uh, it's great to be together. Uh, welcome to the Desert Cities Church here, and uh, you may be wondering, we're going to be talking today in the book of Nehemiah. See if i got my slides here. No. Oh, here we go. We're going to be talking about building today. And every time I go camping, I don't know what it is. I start thinking about the book of Nehemiah because everybody is working together and helping out and everybody has a part. And if you may be wondering why I'm talking about that, we just got back here this morning. We had We reinstated a camping trip here in the church. And uh, you guys are all the people who didn't get to go, but you get to worship God together. And uh, I was given a hard time that we're having church today with the Hernandez family. Uh, (laughs) But you did have Lily and Juan represent your family. They did go camping there. So thank you for sending uh, your ambassadors there. And uh, it was just cool to be, be up there. This was a picture after our service this morning. This was us last night. You see V.J. Pinson there cooking the marshmallows over the s'mores, but it was just cool, and every time I go camping, I get inspired to read the book of Nehemiah, and so today we get to talk about Nehemiah and building uh, for God, and my questions for you today are simple. What are you building in your life? It It could be your family. It could be your marriage. It could be your kids. It could be a career. What is God, this is the second question, what has God put on your heart to build for him? You know, when you, what mission has he given you? I believe that God gives us all a collective mission to reach the world for him. But there's certain things that are more inspiring and touch each one of us in a different way. And so what mission has God specifically put on your heart to build for him? And then the third question is for you to take home. How can I take steps to build this thing that God has put on my heart? And that's what we're going to look at today in the book of Nehemiah. God puts something on his heart, and then he goes about building it. And I couldn't help, uh, as I was fellowshipping our brother here, Ricardo, from San Diego, who's visiting us, you know, his parents there, they were holding hands, and it just kind of caught my attention and they shared that they've been married for 62 years right and i just as we're talking about building i said wow that there's a lot of building that you have to put in to make a marriage last for 62 years there's a lot of talks a lot of re- resolutions a lot of bi- time together and common interest and putting you know forgiveness and I pray that, as God, that God will work today. Let's say a prayer that God will really put on your heart, uh, this idea of building and what he wants you to specifically build. I want to welcome Lacey back to the desert. And uh, she goes up to Seattle for the, for the summer, so she's back. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you today for this time to be together. Thank you for this book in the Bible that's so inspiring to see what you can do in a short amount of time. God, I pray that as we, we read your words, that it comes alive to us, that it speaks to us. Even a story that's so common to a lot of us. But God, I do believe there's so much and so many things that you have to put on our hearts. God, I pray that your spirit will work today. Get me out of the way. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so turn over to Nehemiah 1. I'm going to read verse 1 through 11. As we get the idea and are reminded of what's going on. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakalah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was at the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah and some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And when you keep reading on, Hanani is actually his physical brother. And he's the one that is going to become the governor of Jerusalem when this is all kind of said and done. But he's the one that also starts it off. He said, they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to this place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attended to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of the servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. And so he gets this news. He gets some really bad news about Jerusalem. You know, and if you think about building an area of your life that is going terribly. That was the question. How is Jerusalem? It was going, you could just picture their face dropping like, oh, you had to ask about that. It's going terrible. What is the area of your life that if someone asked you about it, you would feel uncomfortable? Or you'd feel like, oh, you had to ask me. That area is actually going terrible. And he goes on to tell them about it. And Nehemiah, it says he's troubled and he heard, he fasts and he prays. He takes these, this difficulty to God. You know, imagine if Nehemiah would have just, so how's Jerusalem? Oh, it's going really bad. I'll I'll pray for you guys. And then just kind of went on with his day. I'll put that on the prayer list. Or if he heard it, he said, man, that sounds terrible, but what can I do? You know, but God put it on his heart not only to be depressed. You know, we get bad news all the time. You know, I don't know about you. I hear about bad things every day. But it's my choice. What am I going to do with those bad things? Do I take them to God or do I just get depressed? Do I give up? And yet, Nehemiah took them to God. He also took responsibility. He said, God, forgive me and my family for all that we've done. You know what? He didn't do anything to get him in exile. He wasn't even born. He wasn't even there. And yet that was his heart that these are my people. We're all in this together. You know, we spend so much time thinking about who's responsible and who's at fault. He just said, you know what? That was me. That was my, Those are my, that was my great-great-grandparents. I don't even know my great-great-grandparents. I'm not going to want to take responsibility for them, am I? Maybe. That's what he did. That's what he took responsibility. And this was the most amazing part. That as he's telling the story, he's praying to God, he's confessing, but then at the end of it, he ends up saying, okay, now I'm going to change this. You know, give me success today. He doesn't sound like a person who's depressed. Right, He doesn't sound like someone who's hopeless. It says that he wanted to make a difference. It sounds like someone that has faith. And I believe it's because from the time he heard about it, he took time to find God and find faith. And I believe my personal thought is that he was looking back into the scriptures trying to find faith. And he found the part in, in Deuteronomy when God says, if you forsake me, then I'm going to send you off into captivity. But then if you come back to me, then I'll call you all back. And he got faith from the word of God, seeing that we're here because we sin. And guess what? We can go back if we repent. If we come back to God, he can make all this go away. And he put his trust in God's word and he put his himself out there. You know, so think about that area of your life. What does God want you to build? What is an area that you think about, man, this is a mess. This isn't going like I want it. Or maybe it's just, that's eh, it's okay, but it could be a lot better. Is it your fam? Is it your marriage? Is it your kids? Is it your, your job? What is it? Is it your family group? Is it is it something about the church? You know, there's a lot of areas in any group that if you look at it closely enough, you're going to find areas that need to change. And Nehemiah took it to God, and, to, and it started with him. And I believe, and that's the great thing about God's church, is that any one of us can make a change. That affects all of us. It doesn't have to just come from the leader. It can come from anybody at any time, maybe even from you from today. Let's keep reading in Nehemiah chapter 2. Let's see what happens. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, When wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. That's a good thing to say when you're afraid. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins? And its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and answered the king. If it pleases the king and your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Jerusalem where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governor of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent an army, and army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. And so Nehemiah puts himself out there You know, I love that prayer when he's like, okay, God, in the moment, help me, help me, help me. Before he gives the king his request. So many times we, God puts us outside of our comfort zone where we want to do something for him, doesn't he? He makes us step up. He makes us be bold. He makes us ask. And he promises that when we ask, we'll receive. You know, it mentions that the queen was standing there, too. I don't know what the significance is of that. Some people think that it was Queen Esther. I'm not really too sure. I have my doubts, but maybe Nehemiah was interrupting their dinner together. You know, he was a part of something that that was a special time, and yet God had put this on on his heart. And the thing that really impresses me is not only does the king say yes, but he does even more. He says, okay, I'm going to send army officers and cavalry with you to protect you along the way. Isn't that how God is? Sometimes he blows us away and then he goes even beyond what we, what we expect and what we ask for. You know, I don't know about you, but if I were Nehemiah, I probably would have been shocked that the king said yes. I mean, imagine you... What? You're doing this? God. And you feel, even before you start, you feel that God is with you. God is blessed. He hasn't built anything. He hasn't even gone. He hasn't been anywhere. You know, he had a great quiet time week. And he had a good day. It starts with simple, small things. Obviously, this was not a simple, small thing, but it starts with small things as God works in our heart, in our life, and here through the request. Through the rest of the chapter, he goes to Jerusalem. He rides around the wall. He looks at the condition. He tells people about God opening doors, how the king is behind him, how he's blessing us, how this is our time. And he continues to fight opposition. Before he even starts building, he's getting opposed by people from outside. You know, if you want to build anything for God, you're going to get opposed. You know, people are going to stand in your way. We're going to see that here in a little bit. But here he's getting opposition even before he starts the work. Look in Nehemiah chapter 3. In verse 6. This is the chapter where they talk about all the different people and all the names of the people that build this wall from this corner to that corner, from this point to that point, the angled wall to this gate. You know, sometimes you read the Bible and you kind of go, who cares? i never been to Jerusalem. I couldn't tell you one gate from the next and what the order is and why would these people's names that I can't even pronounce. For them, it was important. This was their project. You know, they could always walk by and say, "Remember, that was our section right there." Some of the things that God wants you to do, maybe no one else will even care about, but to you, it's life-changing. But to you, it's it's your city. This is your. This is what God put on your heart. It, it says in verse six that the, the Shunna Gate was repaired by Joida son of Paseah and Meshelam, son of Beso- Besodihah. Say that ten times fast. They laid its beams and put its doors with the bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizba, places under the authority of the governor of the Euphrates. Uzdiel, son of Harhina, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Now skip down to verse 12. It says, Shalom, our son of Halohesh, ruler of the half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. I thought that was cool that they included that in there. The valley gate was repaired by Hanan and residents from Zenoa. They rebuilt it and put its doors with the bolts and bars in place. They also repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. The dung gate was repaired by Malchiah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hecarim. He rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. And you read read all this, and you see people that are working that aren't really workers. You know, the perfu—it just stuck out. Why would you, the the perfume makers out there fixing the wall? You're like, I don't know what a perfume maker does, but I don't think they know much about building. I mean, if it was like, you know, Alfonso and Darren Yester out there, you go, okay, they got a handle on it. James is out there building. No, it's a perfume maker. He's not a builder, but he's out there. You know, it says that uh, the goldsmiths were out there. People that don't even... Nehemiah, he's not a builder, he's a cupbearer. He was probably a eunuch. You know, he's not this big guy that's coming out the building. He's like, ah, you know, we're going to. God, it doesn't matter what you're good at, God can use you even in areas that you're not good at. And even more so, it gives him even more glory when he does that. I love the one part where it says that the people were from Gibeon and Mizpah. They didn't even live there. They were rebuilding the wall, and it wasn't their home. It wasn't their city. I mean, I can understand if you're rebuilding the wall, like some of them, it's right in front of their house. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build that thing, right? I want to protect the family. We're going to be barricaded in here. I mean, they weren't even living there. You know, sometimes it's so easy to get inspired about our part of the wall in front of my house but it's not as exciting to get it in front of the wall over in your house you know it's inspiring when god talks to me and i feel like okay god has given me this vision but how inspiring is it when god talks to you and i'm trying to get excited about your your part of the wall what you're building isn't that kind of how we are When it's our project, man, we are gung ho. We're fired up. We're excited. When it's your project, eh, not so much. How do I know that God really gave you this mission anyway? You know, we can be kind of skeptical, and yet God, so many times, God makes us build something that maybe isn't our first choice. Like the perfume maker, he's out there. What am I doing? It benefits him because it helps the economy and, you know, once the city gets going, his business. You know, so sometimes you have to find your inspiration. And yet so many, and yet, in our group, I don't think either one of those is the big problem. I think there's a lot of people here that aren't building anything. You get up in the morning, you're not building anything for God. You come to church, you're not building anything for God. You go to bed, you're not building anything for God. You think about whatever. You go to your family group, and you're just kind of looking at, okay, you know, i got to get up at like 5 o'clock in the morning. I hope this is fast so I can get home. That tells me you're not building anything with your family group, with your, your family, with your church. This is, this is our church. My prayer is that we'll all be building so many things that we'll have to give up on our project to help you with your project. You know, that we'll have so much that God's spirit will be moving in an amazing way. We've heard, a lot of us have heard this preached about the dung gate. That you got to sign the dung gate. The thing that stuck out to me is it was actually fixed by a ruler. Ruler. They didn't just send the worst person over there like, hey, you're the bottom of the pole, you get the dung gate, That's good. have fun over there. That There was actually a ruler that went, and he took pride in that, that God, you know, we've got to be willing to do whatever God calls us to do. I know, you know, maybe an area, maybe the team ministry needs a lot of work. You know, maybe you go, oh, man, our team ministry, we need a lot of work. And we can go, well, I don't have any teens. I'm so glad that all my kids are graduated. I'm I'm done with that. No, maybe God wants you still to build the wall, even if you don't have a kid there. You know, what about Kids' Kingdom? Well, I don't have any kids. Or, well, my kids are all graduated. We're all out. And right now we need 18 people for the next rotation. And guess when the uh, training is? Next week. Next Sunday, during church, we need 18 people between now and then. Well, I don't know. Maybe that's not my wall. Maybe that should be your wall. You know, God puts it on our hearts to serve even in other areas. Maybe he has lessons for you that you don't even know you need until you start doing something else. And then God can move. Let's all be willing to let God move. Wouldn't that be great if we had so many people volunteer that we had to turn people away? That would be an awesome problem to have. And so the kids' kingdom people said to really hit that point, too. So I, I hit that one. So let, let's do <laughs> Let's really uh, take up our, our post for God. Look in Nehemiah chapter 4. We're getting that halfway done here. It says in verse 6, so we, we rebuilt the wall until it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. That's a great accomplishment, but I was kind of looking for a little more than that. Right? If I was thinking, man, we've been working for all, with all our heart, and we're only halfway done? That means that we have another half. We've been doing it. It's been hard, and now we have another half to go. You know, they took pride even in the steps along the way in what God was doing. And in verse 10, it says, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, Before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, Wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting for them, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your families, your sons and daughters and wives and homes. So their work's getting criticized. Their sacrifices are being criticized. There's armies up against them. And it just made me think, what would it take for you to quit what you're building for God? Sometimes we hit our first opposition. We go, okay, this is not going to happen. This is way too hard. God, this is the wrong time. This is not, not a good thing. And they just have opposition after opposition. We're tired. There's some reason why we're, our strength is giving out. You know, what would it take for you? As you continue to read the chapter... It says that they worked from sunup until sundown, and then at sundown, they all guarded the city at night, and then they got up at the next day, and they did that again and again and again. I mean, it was a lot harder than they probably thought it was going to be. I mean, Nehemiah, I don't know if he was pushing them or whatever, but there was a lot of hard work that would have caused me to go, hey, guy, this is... This is kind of excessive. I mean, this reminds me of the old days when we had to really push ourselves. Maybe God's trying to push us along with and to accomplish his work. They were always ready. It says that they took their sword even when they went to get water. And the kicker was they never changed their clothes. So they went camping for 52 days with the same clothes. And they worked in those clothes, and they slept in those clothes, and they guarded in those clothes. Can you imagine? I mean, that would be enough to get most of us to probably quit right there. And yet they were sacrificing because of this purpose, because they were building something for God. Let's not give up along the way because it gets hard. Let's not lose focus. He calls them back to remember the great and awesome God. Don't do it for Nehemiah. Don't do it for your leaders. Don't do it for Do it for God. Do it for your families. I love that line. He says, fight for your families, your sons and daughters, your wives and your homes. I don't know about for you, but that's enough to get me motivated. You know, fight for your wife. Fight for your husband. Fight for your children. If you really believe that if you don't fight for them, you're going to lose them spiritually, wouldn't you do it? That's easy. Yes, I want I want my kids to see me fighting spiritually. I want my kids to see me praying. I want my kids to see me sacrificing. I mean, that's like my worst fear in the world. For my kid to look at me and say, ah, he's a quitter. Yeah, my dad's a quitter. Yeah, he gives up. Whenever something happens, he's out. Oh, it's too hard. I mean, you've got to, oh, no, no way my dad. Maybe your dad would do that, but not my dad. I remember when they were little, I would just look in the rear view mirror. You know, you can push the, to the, th- the mirror down so you can see in the back. And I, I just look and say, man, I'm exhausted right now. You know, I, I, I'm just struggling to have my quiet times. I'm going to church, and the kids are crying, and I just can't wait till they get in the kids' kingdom. And and I just would put my mirror down and just go, you know what? If I can't get going for that, what 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 else is going to get me going? If I can't get motivated to be an example for them, to be able to love God, to inspire my kids, then, then shame on me. You know, he was getting them to dig down deeper than probably they ever had before. Not like they did these projects all the time. This guy just showed up, and all of a sudden, they're working their butts off. I don't know what they were doing before, but this guy, it would be tempting to go, hey, who is this guy? Why are we doing this? You know, this isn't going to work. And I'm sure they had those temptations. Now look in chapter 5. This is where it gets really hard. I thought that was hard. Now I got to this one. This sounded a lot like us. He said, Now the men and and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, We and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, We are mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, We had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. You know, he's going on. He said, We're just trying to feed our family. We're trying to put food on the table. We're trying to help our, you know, we're trying to pay the mortgage. We're trying to pay our taxes. We're trying to just survive. To me, as I was reading that, I just was reminded of the thorny soil. You know, desires for other things. Not trusting God. God God's not going to provide. I mean, I'm just trying to. Do a good thing. And these are all good things. But they were getting in the way of God's work. At this time, they weren't good things. They had, they had to repent. They, they, he called them to repent in different areas. But again, another challenge. This one wasn't from outside. This one was from inside. It's too hard. We work too much. I can't make it to church. I mean, I'm, bu- I'm too busy. You know, this is a hard time. I mean, the IRS is coming after me right now. i got to work triple overtime. i got to get another job. Yeah, maybe you do, but don't leave God out of it. Don't stop building to build our own kingdom like they were tempted here. And thank goodness they didn't. In Nehemiah chapter 6, I wonder if I would still be building at, at Nehemiah chapter 6. You ever think about that? I mean, we read the story and go, wow, this is really great. Spoiler alert, they finished in 52 days, but would we really have persevered for 52 days? That's a long time. In one way, it's not, but for them, it was seemed like an eternity. It says, then in the, the fifth time, Sam Ballant sent his aide with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter which was written. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply, nothing like you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your own head. They are all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Metab- Mehetabol, <laughs> who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By day they are coming. I mean, by night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should, I, should a man like me run away or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sam Ballad had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me, so I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in the 52 days. Amazing. And it says that the nations were afraid because they realized that this had happened with the help of God. He got warned five times. He even sent an open letter so that everyone in Israel could read it. He realized that his own prophets were being paid by his enemies. And if you keep reading, it says that other Israelites were also loyal to his enemies. So this was Satan's final attack, even by his close friends, by his trusted advisors, by his family group, leaders, by his core group, that even as the prophets were being paid by the enemies. It says many other Israelites were also loyal to the enemies. There were many people who didn't want to build. That could be us, too. We have a lot of people that want to build and do great things for God, and maybe we have a lot of people that don't want to build. And sometimes if you want to build, and you can get even distracted by the people who don't want to build, even within our own fellowship. You can be discouraged. You can want to kick them out of the church. You can want to call them to decision. and All the while, let's not let that get distracted, distracting us from what we're doing. For how God has called us to build. We need to call and help people to change. But even that can be a distraction. In 52 days, they rebuilt this wall. I don't know what you're trying to build. But if you start building in 52 days, you'll feel like a different person about whatever it is. Say you're having trouble in your quiet times. You're having trouble spending time with God. You're not connecting. You don't know how to pray. In 52 days, if you prayed every day for 52 days, you would feel like a rock star in your quiet times in 52 days. That's enough time to change, not only change your habits, but to change your life, to change your marriage. If you just started praying with your wife every day and talking with your wife or or, or husband every day and spending time with them and going on dates, in 52 days, you could actually be holding hands in church. It's not so insurmountable. You're having trouble with your kids. In 52 days, you can figure that out. You can get help. You can communicate. You can spend time with them. You can draw them out. Maybe your wall won't be built in 52 days. Last time I checked, 52 days was not enough time to build a life. It wasn't enough time to change everything. This was a miraculous event. They were amazed that it happened so fast. I wish that all your problems could be gone in 52 days. But they're only going to be gone at the end of the time. There's only one place with no problems. I believe that this fall we have a chance to build for God. I believe there's people that are searching for him right now that don't know him and that he wants us to help them build their wall too. Let us not be so consumed with building our own lives that we forget that God's called us to help other lives around us. You can not only meet someone, you could probably baptize someone by the time 52 days are up. If that's on your heart, if that's something I believe God wants to put and has put burdens on our hearts. That if we take them to him that he can make them different, he can make them changed. And he is building in my life, he's building in your life. And I believe this fall he wants to build in this church in an amazing way. As we take our communion, think about that. What am I building? What has God put on my heart that he wants me specifically to build? And how can I take steps to build this dream? In Matthew 26, as we take our communion, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. And have you ever thought about how Jesus did this? You think he just went real fast and said, this is the bread, this is my body, and then he just passed it, and then he said, this is the the cup? I think it was more that he ripped the bread slowly and thought about, this is my body. That in less than 12 hours, I'm going to be broken. That God has put a burden on my heart that I've been mourning and weeping and praying and fasting about for my entire life. And he knew that there was a solution, that he was the solution. Even later on that night, he said, not my will, but your will be done. That God called him to sacrifice in order to build his church, which is us. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And as they passed that cup around, did he not think of the sins that were going to be forgiven? With each person maybe that took the cup. Yep, I'm going to forgive your sins. Yep, I'm going to forgive all those sins too. I'm going to forgive the ones that you're going to do later tonight too. I'm going to forgive the ones that are going to happen in the future. I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in my Father's kingdom. That he had that same kind of faith. You know, give me success today. You know, God, give me the strength so that I can see you, which would be tomorrow for him and in your kingdom. Let's pray as we take communion and commit ourselves to building Or if we don't know what we're building, that we'll pray that God will show us what he wants us to build because he needs each of us. Father, we thank you so much for this time to be together. We thank you for just this amazing passage and story, you restoring the dreams of so many of the Israelites. God, I know that you want to restore our dreams, that you want to help us to dream again and to see people's lives changed. And it starts with ourselves and with our families, God, but I pray you use us as a church in a powerful way. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for him laying down his life for us. Thank you for the burdens that we have given to him. Thank you that he carried them willingly and that he provided a way for us to be forgiven. We love you, God. Thank you for this time. We pray in his name. Amen.